Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. What a joy to be with y'all. Gerald has been a friend, as he did not need to say, but said a long time. He could have let that part out. We were actually at Chapel Hill together, and my husband, Bill, and I were there with him as well. So really a joy to be with y'all. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into a new series for you all, which is looking at God's Word and trying to understand, listen for, sort through what does his word teach me about how to love well, love in the difficult, love in the joy, and really get down in the gritty in that stuff. So it's gonna be a great series and I'm gonna kick it off this morning. All right, let me pray for us. Father God, we do believe that you, um, your deepest heart is to help us know how to be whole people, loving people, people that represent you in this broken, hurting world. And so as we look to the scriptures for today, for who you are and what that means to us, and then in the coming weeks, we say, Lord, show us how to love well. Show us how to love like Jesus. Lord, would you guide us? Would you speak into each of our stories this morning, into each of the places that we are in our heart as we sit in this auditorium this morning? We ask and pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, in 2008, my husband, Bill and I and our family owned a real estate company. And that's where you should sigh. Because if you'll remember that 2008 was the worst time possible to be in a real estate company. Everything crashed. And for us in our company that we had worked and sweated and prayed and and given our lives to build, it it crashed down in a matter of weeks for us. And so we were about two years into houses that had been worth this, now being worth this. Talking to banks and saying, we're not going anywhere. A lot of people just brought keys and they just dropped them on the table and moved across the company country. We said, we're not going anywhere, but we don't have it to give to you right now. We're working for it. We're, we're staying in it. We did this for two years of people yelling at us and beating us down and swimming in disappointment. And we had four kids. So one day I looked around at Bill and I said, honey, we love to laugh in our family. And I don't think we've laughed in a year because we are so weighed down by what is going on in our life that is very real right now. And so we need to to do something that has adventure. And so we took ourselves down to the Whitewater Center. Now our our youngest, Dylan, was a little guy at this time. So I kind of stayed on the side and I was holding his hand and, and watching as Bill and our two older sons learned to Whitewater kayak. And, and they got in there and after about a week they could do the roll. This is where you're like strapped in and you have to you know, roll and roll yourself back up underwater. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. And then about, you know, another couple weeks and they're doing the channel. I mean, they're, they're doing this. And then I'm up there holding little guy's hand. I'm like, 
kind of jealous, you know? So I get a babysitter for a little guy, and I go down and decide, I, Mama is going to learn to whitewater kayak too, okay? Now, understand, I'm middle-aged. I got the skirt working, okay? So this was kind of, it was stepping out on a limb a little bit, but I needed to adventure. I needed to laugh. So I go out there, and there's all these high school dudes that work out there. So I'm like, this is safe. This guy didn't care about me. He's going to come out and teach me how to whitewater kayak. It's going to all be good. So I'm in my little skirt with my thing and my helmet, and I'm looking seriously dorky. And, but I got my boat and I got my paddle and the whole deal and I'm just waiting for the high school dude to walk out, right? So I look over at that, at that building and, um, and the door opens and out walks the head of the Whitewater Center. His name was Pablo, okay? Pablo was very good at what he did and very handsome. I'm happily married, but he is ha- very handsome. And I'm all of a sudden going, this whole thing is a terrible terrible idea. So Pablo starts working with me. He does like a, you know, a, a individual lesson. And, and sure enough, by like a couple hours, I could do the, I could do the role. And I was like, okay, all right. So time to go home. And he says, I think you are ready for the channel. Now here's the thing, y'all, I'm just gonna be honest. I knew I wasn't ready for the channel. But when Pablo says, I think you are ready for the channel, it's really hard to say no, you know? So I was like, okay, I mean, you know, what, what could happen? Um, so he says, I'll lead the way and you follow. So he takes off and I can feel my heart just like, you know? And, and so I'd take off in the channel. I didn't really take off. I just kind of, the channel took me is what happened. And I go through the first set of waves and I'm like, whoa. I mean, I'm, my paddle's all over the place. Y'all, I hit the second wave and that wave flipped me like a shade. I'm upside down. I'm drinking. Now I'm drinking the channel. I'm drinking the channel. And I'm thinking about my, my kids throwing flowers on my grave. And this is, re- and then all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I can pull out. So I pull the skirt. Boat paddle goes, I'm in my, you know, old lady suit, crawling up, literally crawling up on a rock like a shipwreck person, right? And I'm up there and I'm like spitting up water and, and Pablo comes, you know, paddling up and he says, you forgot everything that you knew. <laughs> okay, at that point I wanted to take, I wish I had my paddle so I could smack him upside his head with it, right? But then I got finished and dried off and I thought, He's right, he's right. I got upside down, I got afraid, I was new at it, I got scared, and I forgot every single principle of truth I knew. It happens, doesn't it, in our faith walks? It happens because we live in a world of information overload. And we work really hard. We carry loads at home, at school, at a job. We, we are measured against each other all the time. We have real fears and real disappointments and real losses that we're carrying, we're trying to heal from. We have hurts. We hurt each other and people hurt us. And we carry that. And sometimes in the midst of all of that, we forget everything that we knew. It turns out that the way back to what we know, or maybe you don't know it yet this morning, maybe this is the first time you'll ever have heard that, and I am so glad you're here if that's true, because I have something beautiful 
to share with you. But the way back to what we knew, out from under all of that weight of work and relationships and disappointment and loss and, and the complications of life is actually pretty simple. And I'll tell you that my sister taught it to me when I was really bitty little. I have two younger sisters that live in town and I was the tomboy, thus the whitewater kayaking. And my sister Jane, middle, was total frills, total you know, glitter, the whole deal. And we pff, like, fought like cats and dogs. We're best friends now, but we fought like cats and dogs. We shared a room, two single beds, just enough room for a dresser, and one little single closet. And every night, mom would come in and pray with us. And I would say my rote prayer, and then Jane would do this. Okay, dear God and Jesus, come down here. I want to tell you a little bit of things. And then she would go on and on. And I'm in my other bed rolling my eyes like, oh my gosh, and on. And then she'd say this, then she'd say this. Okay, now you talk to me. Mm-hmm, ooh, yep. She knew something as I, I rolled over there that we forget, and this is what it is. She knew as a little girl, she believed that God wants to make himself known to us. Friends, in the midst of all the heavy that you carry, the God of the universe wants, desires, is working to make himself known to you and to me. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah. This was written to the Israelites that were in captivity, but we walk in a certain captivity, do we not? And so he says this to us, then you'll call upon me, just like Jane was doing, and you'll come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me, and you'll find me if you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This little bitty girl knew, she believed that God wanted to make himself known to her. She believed that she deserved to be loved by him, that mercy and grace poured over her. That was just a childlike belief. And God says to us still, if you'll call upon me, if you'll seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. God wants to be known by us. So when I grew up in the church, I, I didn't take God very seriously because I thought that, that God was kind of over here on Sundays and then we did our life over here during the week. That's just what I thought. I had absolutely no idea that I could have a relationship with God the Father. Do you know that this morning? No idea. I thought it was just something I did and, and, and the only thing I ever read in scripture in all those years in church was Psalm 23. And it was because we, we had it shellacked onto a plaque and I had to memorize it on the way to church. I was doing it in the car. And, and, and it would have read something like this, like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, make sure I lie down, great pastors, like that. That's how, I, that's how I read it. But it turns out there's a lifeline in these words. There's a lifeline in these words. See, there's two characters involved. There's King Saul. King Saul is the first king of Israel. He's who we picked. And we picked him because he was tall and handsome and strong. And he, he looked the part, people. He just looked the kingly part. And he was a terrible king. He wasn't a faithful king. 
One day he was in a load of trouble and a little shepherd boy, maybe you know this, this story, maybe you've never heard it. It doesn't matter, what we're looking for is the lifeline in this. Little shepherd boy, David, who believed like my sister Jane did. He was a young, he was a boy. And he said, why are, why are we letting the Philistines speak to God's people like that? You don't think God's gonna rescue his people? And that day, David won a victory over a giant over the Philistine army with a slingshot and a rock because he was a shepherd. So Saul said, come, come, live, in my, in, in, come live in my home. Come play your harp. Come be a warrior when he, grow up, when he grew up. It turns out gave David was a really gifted warrior. And when David started coming back from war, the people were, they were writing songs about him. They were saying, David is amazing. David kills tens of thousands. David is God's man. And it turns out that Saul didn't like his power challenged. So Saul decides he's gonna kill David. Saul starts to chase David. So I want you to understand the journey David takes before he writes these words that are a lifeline to you and to me. David has to run for his life. He loses his best friend, which is Saul's son, Jonathan. He loses his wife because he had married one of Saul's daughters. He loses his mom and dad because he had to leave him in Moab because he literally had to run from his life, live in the wilderness, live in caves with just this small little band of people that stood beside him. He lost everything. God had anointed him and said, you'll be the next king. Guess how long it took for that to come to fruition? 22 years years. My family was under it for two years and, and it was hard. 22 years. So no, I don't believe that Psalm 23 that we're going to look at today that David is writing like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No, I believe David's saying the truth in this is a lifeline. See, David's an older man now. He's lost all of that. He's suffered all of that. He's waited all of that time. And I believe he's an older man with a lot more wisdom now. And he said, I tried on a lot of things in my life. Sometimes I tried on faith. Sometimes I tried on my own power. Sometimes I tried on relationship after relationship. Maybe some of this rings true for you. Sometimes I tried on my own intelligence. Sometimes I just ran from God. And I'm proud of some of those things and I'm utterly ashamed of others. But I think David, when he took up a pen to write this song, Psalm, I think he wrote it like this, because he's an older man now and he's been through suffering and he knows that God is a lifeline. And so he says this, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, the one who created all that we know and, and all that we are, the one whose creativity and uniqueness is woven into each of you, the one that, that created us for our souls to laugh and, and play and wonder in worship. That Lord, David is writing, that the Lord is willing to be my guide, my, my leader, my protector, my provider, the Lord. I think he wrote it like that, the Lord is my shepherd. Friends, sideline to a, a story, but I promise it's worth it. When the Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt for years and years and years and years, 
the scripture says this, and here's the lifeline again, I want you to hear it. I heard the cries of my people, God said. I've heard the cries of my people. So when you pray, and the scripture says, every one of your prayers is carried like incense up to the very throne of God. When you pray, heaven hears. So, so God said, I've heard the cries of my people. And so he, he goes to a, a failure, a runaway, um, a, a very mediocre human being, Moses, and he says to himself, Mo, says to him, Moses, I want you to go because I've heard the cries of my people. And Moses says no about 17 different times. And then God says, oh, you're going. And Moses finally relents and says, who should I tell him you are? And God answers Moses back and this is what he says. He gives him his intimate, personal name. Friends, do you hear that this morning? That God has a personal name name. He's a personal God that wants to have a relationship with you, that wants to make himself known to you. He says, my name is Yahweh. And you know what Yahweh translates as? He will be. You tell him he will be sent you. He who always has been, who is, and who will be sent you. You tell Pharaoh that I have heard the cries of my people and Yahweh, he will be sent you. You And so what David is saying is that the personal God, Yahweh, is willing to be your shepherd, your guide, your protector, your provider. See, shepherds had the lowliest jobs, the very bottom of the totem pole of all humanity in this time, which is what's so incredible about the multitude of angels appearing to the shepherds in the field. It's like God saying, you know what? Yahweh, the personal God, is gonna come to the lowest. And I'm gonna start there. And then we're gonna work our way out into the world. The shepherds had the very lowest job. And so what David is saying to us when he writes, the Lord is my shepherd, is he's saying the great Yahweh is gonna stoop to be your shepherd. He's gonna do the lowliest job because of his unbelievable love for you, because he knows you completely, because he wants you to belong to him. But friends, I think David probably also said, the Lord is my shepherd. It's happening right now. I finally understand that God is right this minute wooing you, drawing you to himself. Right now, today in your life, it's present. Salvation happens when you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but it is happening right now. You're becoming who Jesus wants you to be. It's not a one-time thing and then you die and go to heaven. It's a, I think I believe this, God. I've got all these questions, but I think I believe this in my heart. That is a moment of salvation, but then it is happening throughout your life and God is changing you and moving in your life. And so David suddenly realizes, oh, the Lord is shepherding me. He is my shepherd right now. If I'll lean in, if I'll tune in, and if I'll lean in. And then I think David said this, the Lord is my shepherd. Friends, it's personal. It'll look different for you and you and me 
in you because he knows you intimately and completely and it will look different for each of us. It's the Lord is my shepherd. But here's what we have to do. We have to tune in and lean in. Tune in and lean in. Now, those of you born before a certain age will not recognize this. This is a radio. Um, Did you know right now in this minute, what if I said to you right this second, you know what, do you like this music? You'd be like, wow, she lost it. But right now in this room, there's all kinds of music going on. There's gospel, there's good old 80s rock, my preference. There's worship, there's Spanish speaking. It's right here. It's happening right now. All you and I have to do is we just have to lean into the power switch. That's Jesus. And then it's just gonna take a little tuning. So it'll sound like that maybe when you first start practicing. That is talking to God, listening to him, stepping out on, on what. And then, that's not actually my preference. We begin to hear. Oh wait, there's a personal God. Wait, I'm a little confused. Hang up. Okay, I'm gonna try again. Trying to find the 80s rock. You get my point. Jesus is the power source for us to hear the personal God. It it does take a little practice. You have to ask him and then you have to step out on what you hear him say, what you hear him speak to you in your word today, and then listen again. But it's like when you first are getting to know somebody and they call you and they say, hey, it's Holly. You know, we met at, at uh, you know, Love Lake Norman and I was sitting on, yeah, 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 great. I was just wondering if you wanted to grab some coffee. And then you, you get to know that person a little better and you get to know them a little better. And then after a few years, when you're really good friends, all you have to do is go, hey, You know who it is, right? God's challenge to us this morning is to tune in and lean in. And this is the the God that I want you to tune in and lean into. You ready? The Lord, Yahweh, is your shepherd. This is how the Lord described himself to Job at the very pit of his life. So I just want you to take a second and maybe you've never heard God describe himself before, but we tend to shrink God down. We, we, we tend to make him manageable. And, and that's a dangerous thing to do because then a very manageable God can't handle all the things that I need help with in my life, right? And, and, and Job was at the pit of his life. And this is how God described himself. Just let God become who God really is again for a second. He said, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it bursts forth from the womb? When I made the cloud its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I set limits 
for it and said to the proud waves, this far you may come and no farther. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the darkest deepness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? What is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? Surely you know. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? And on and on and on, God did this. He said, do not forget, I am Yahweh. I am not a God that is controlled. I'm not a God that is calm. I'm not a God that is, is limited. I am Yahweh and that is the one who is offering to be your shepherd your guide, your protector. And Job answers like this, my ears had heard of you. (laughs) I'd been to church, but now my eyes have seen you. So the, the shepherd God that is offering that David is writing about later in life when he was at the pit of his life is, is this God, is Yahweh limitless, has always been, will be, will all, is, will always be that Yahweh. And yet there's a tenderness. When Jesus says my, he says you're my God, there's a tenderness. Because this is what Jesus did over and over and over in the gospels. Go and read the stories of Jesus and see the tenderness of Jesus. When a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, she would have had to crawl up in a crowd in the dirt because they believed that if they touched the tassel on the robe of a rabbi's robe, if they touched the tassel, they would be healed. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. The doctors had ruined her financially. Everybody had abandoned her. Nobody could be near her. She was literally, utterly alone. She crawls on her hands and knees, if you can imagine, up and just barely touches the robe of Jesus. And Jesus knew that power had gone out of him and she was healed. But here's what he did, friends. Here's the tenderness. The crowd would have been absolutely angry so angry because this dirty, defiled woman touched the rabbi. And so the crowd would have turned on her immediately when he stopped and said, who touched me? The crowd would have turned on her. And, and, and she was probably trembling and still on the ground. And she confesses the whole thing to Jesus in front of all the crowd. She just tells him the whole thing. And this crowd is looking down with hatred and anger. And do you know what Jesus says to her? He says, daughter. He calls her daughter. Your faith, this much faith, has healed you. I I want you to understand that David is writing about the Lord Yahweh, who is this God, and he's the tender God represented in Jesus. David goes on to write, he makes me lie down in cream pastures. It turns out that sheep don't lie down easily. They don't rest easily. Sound familiar? Because they need to be free from fear and friction with other sheep, other sheep. 
flies and parasites, so nuisances. We need to be free of nuisances in our life. We need to um, be free of hunger or distractions. So it turns out that we don't rest well because we are holding in our lives fear and friction and flies, nuisances and distractions. And the only way a sheep will lie down in a pasture depends on the diligence of the shepherd. So this is what the shepherd will do. I mean, all those things are still present. They're still, you know, uh, afraid cat animals. Uh, they still have, they butt heads with each other. Um, they still have the flies and the nuisances and they still have to be fed. But the diligence of a good shepherd will walk right into the middle of the sheep. So if you and I are arguing and the shepherd walks between us, what am I looking at now? My eyes are on the shepherd. See, the diligence of a good shepherd walks right in the midst of his people, Jesus. Right in the midst of his people, and then we take that fear and that friction, that nuisance and that distraction, and we look at him with it. But it all depends on him being a good shepherd. Then he says, he leads me beside quiet water. Sheep won't, run, won't drink out of water that's running. And so a good shepherd has to be able to look ahead, has to be able to see ahead to where's the next water source, not just any water source, a still water source where my people can rest. And so it turns out we need a good shepherd that our eyes can be on him with the weight we carry. We need a good shepherd that can see forward to what is gonna come in our life and what we'll need and is right now because he's present preparing us for that. That's the kind of shepherd we need. And then he says, David writes, he refreshes my soul. The NIV writes, he restores my soul. And in the Greek, refreshes and restores mean something so beautiful. You ready? It means that God is trying to return you to the person he created you to be before the world beat you up and sin broke you down. That is what the good shepherd is trying to do. And friends, he's a healer. David has seen it. He's seen David heal at times when David thought he was gonna die over and over and over again. He wants to restore your soul and my soul to who he originally created us to be. I was at an event for the Dove House last night. The Dove House is a beautiful, beautiful ministry in Mooresville, if you're not familiar with that. And Bill and I had the privilege of, of sitting there well, a young woman of 17 allowed her intake tape, part of it, to be played. It's carefully screened. Um, we heard the very slightest bit of how she was sexually abused by her stepfather for seven years. She was told if she told that it would break apart the family and it would be all her fault. She was told that it's, it's fine, it's supposed to be like this. And she sat at that table in the intake room and she was trembling with fear that no one would believe her. And so the intake um, officer, a, a really amazing woman, asked her questions about the experience, but then she just also asked her questions about their life because it's so heavy that they're trying to get a story so this person can be prosecuted and she can be healed, but they're also not trying to have it be so heavy that she can't literally get out of it out of the story. And so she, she looked at her own point and she said, um, what's your greatest fear? That nobody will believe me and I'll be alone. 
what do you want to be when you grow up? I've always wanted to be in, um, like in, in the FBI or like a detective or like the CIA or something like that. She's 17. So they finish, they finish the tape and they said at Dove House, we fight for these kids. A team of us fight for these kids. And then a grown woman walks up and she says, um, I'm a detective in the Charlotte Police Force and that was me. That was my story. But a team of people came around her, psychologists, faith people, law enforcement. You hear me saying all of it. You hear me saying that sometimes the depth of our healing, the restoring of our story to the person we were created to be before the world beat us down and our own sin or someone else's sin broke us down, that takes a lot of things, but God is at the helm of it all. Then he says, he guides me along right paths. He guides me along right paths. Friends, transformation in your life, God will never force it on you. God will not force open the doors of your life. He watches for the door to move from within. He watches for you to be courageous enough to say, God, I want you. I want you in my life. When I was at Chapel Hill, um, I told you I grew up just kind of going to church. I had no idea you could have a relationship with God. And some girls on my hall befriended me. And um, they said, hey, would you come to a Bible study in, in our little dorm room? I'd never read the Bible for myself. I'd never been to a Bible study. And frankly, I thought it was kind of weird. And, but you know why I said yes? Because they were my friends. They'd befriended me. And so I went to that Bible study and I sat on that, you know, the, the grungy dorm carpet, you know, right? And the, and the things above us, the, the beds above us, you know, built up. And, and I watched and they just opened up the Bible and they, I don't even know what they were studying. I can't even remember. But here's what I do remember as if it was yesterday. I remember thinking, they know God and I only know about him. That's what I realized. And I realized that on the outside, my life looked so good, but there was a lot of pain inside that needed to be restored before the world and my sin and other people's sin broke it down. And so I said in that moment, you know what? I want what they have. And I, didn't, I wasn't sure it was real. I wasn't sure that it was what I thought it was. I really wasn't. And so a friend helped me go buy a Bible. I didn't have a Bible and I hid it in my backpack because I didn't want my drinking buddies to know I was buying a Bible because that'd be kind of awkward conversation. And I went back to the dorm room and I don't recommend this form of devotion, okay? But this is what I did. And hear the mercy of God. Hear the mercy of God. A kid sits on her freshman bunk and says, God, I think this might be real. Like I can feel it in my soul, but I have all of these questions. So if I'm gonna try to make this life change, I, I need you to show me that you're real. I need you to show me that, I didn't use the words my shepherd, but that's what I meant. And then I just did this. Hmm, that's the part I don't recommend. <laughs> I look down. The first verses I ever read for myself in the Bible after just praying that prayer were these. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, every way you know how, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So I said, okay. He guides us in paths of righteousness. Well, we'll finish the, the lifeline. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd in the hottest months would take the sheep up to a to plateau at the top of a mountain, and, and it's rugged terrain, it's very rocky terrain. And so as they're going up this path that leads up to this plateau, there's um, mountain lions and there's other um, dangerous uh, critters that are along the way that want to jump on the sheep and kill them. And so as you're walking up this path, it literally can be dark in the middle of the day. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkness, the danger, your rod and your staff are with me. The rod was a shepherd's, it looked like a billy stick. And they were so good. And still today, these shepherds can throw this rod like hundreds of yards and kill a wild animal. Your rod is an extension of the shepherd's power. Our rod today is this. This is an extension of God's power for you. And, and your staff, they comfort me. The staff is literally what you see on the flannel gram boards. It's like this, and it has the hook at the end, but not so you can take the hook and yank the, the sheep's neck. The, the shepherd would just do this. He would just put a little nudge on this side, and they go that way. Put a little nudge on this side, and they'll go that way. The shepherd's uh, staff was an extension of the shepherd's guidance. And so you know what our staff is today? The Holy Spirit. It just puts a little nudge and you go this way. and puts a little nudge and you trust it more and more and more and you get better and better at it. And the personal God, your personal Yahweh God is guiding you through the darkness where you don't know the way and you don't even know that danger is around you. That the top of the mountain is called a table and, and the, a good shepherd, remember the diligence of the shepherd is what it depends on. A good shepherd would crawl across the table before the sheep got there and he would pour hot oil down into snake holes and would pull up poisonous grass that the sheep would surely have eaten and been killed. A good shepherd on his hands and knees, the lowliest job, Yahweh is crawling ahead of you going, I am protecting you from things that you do not even know. How many things, how many things has God protected us from that we don't even know to say thank you for? Whether you know him or not yet today, he has gone before you. He will not break down your door. He is waiting for you to nudge it from the inside. David writes, you anoint my head with oil. That was to keep all of the pests off the sheep. Do you see the tenderness of Jesus in that? The Jesus that stopped, the Jesus that called her daughter, the Jesus that offers to call you son. Tenderness of Jesus. And then David writes this. He's an old man now. Surely the goodness, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
My friends, we have a diligent shepherd. He's a lifeline in the midst of the weightiness of this life. He wants to guide you, he wants to heal you. He wants to speak personally to you. He wants to show you the way, he wants to restore the broken pain that is in your life right now and make you the person that he created you to be. He's a good, he's a powerful and tender shepherd. My challenge to you today would be, where in your life, where in my life right now, do I need to lean in and tune in to this diligent shepherd? Let me pray for us. Father, God, is, um, it's actually hard to take in completely. Lord, uh, the magnitude of your love for us. It, it is um, more than we can imagine. It's more than we can put into words, and yet we feel it, we experience it, we know the tenderness. We, we hear about the forgiveness, and we felt that healing in our life. And so today, God, we, um, we, like David, stand in awe that you would be a diligent shepherd for me and for my friends here. We praise you, we thank you for that, and, and we give you this worship as a sign of our thanksgiving. Lord, for anyone that is just thinking about whether this could be real, help them to lean in, Lord. Help them to lean in and help them to tune in. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.